Welcome to Seeing Mind to Mind, All Things Mental Health. I'm Anastasia Doulis, Clinical Mental Health Counselor. Life can be tough. This is a podcast about surviving and thriving when life throws you curveballs. When I start seeing clients, they are coming in because their lives are not working. They are coming in with relationship problems. They're coming in with depression, with anxiety. They're not happy in their lives. And generally, they don't necessarily understand themselves. One of the most valuable pieces of information I have ever received myself and one of the most valuable pieces of information I share with my clients is what I'm going to be sharing with you today. This is based on Stephen Porges' work. It is his polyvagal theory. You can find a lot of information on it um, across uh, the internet. Uh, Bessel van der Kolk uses his work. Dan Siegel uses his work. I'm going to be referencing them as well. What it does is it helps us to understand why we do what we do. So much of what we do is automatic. Uh, We want to have control, right? We want to have control of what we're doing. We want to have control of our thoughts, our behaviors, our um, our relationships. We want to have control of other people, but that's not really the case. Uh, Our bodies and our brains are communicating with us all the time, but we're not listening or understanding why we're having the responses we are. We We go on autopilot, and then we try to make sense of things afterward. So when someone comes into me, Of course, I'm getting to know them. And then in the very first session, what I'm sharing with them is information to help them to learn about their bodies and why they're experiencing the symptoms they are. So when we're talking polyvagal theory, we're talking different states of arousal. We're talking about the autonomic nervous system. We're talking about the sympathetic nervous system and the parasympathetic nervous system. Think of the sympathetic nervous system as the accelerator. So if you're in a car and you push on the gas, that's your sympathetic nervous system. This is when we have to kick into fight or flight because of a real or a perceived threat. When we were living in caves, this was extremely useful and necessary for survival. When there was a predator and we needed to run away or fight it off, this is what we wanted on board. We didn't want to think about, oh, here comes a bear. Hmm, I wonder what I should do. We, we want our bodies to save us. We want our bodies to know what to do in those moments and have those knee-jerk reactions and get us to safety. So this is, this is the reason that this is hardwired into our bodies. When you're in this sympathetic nervous system activation, or as uh, Dan Siegel calls it, hyperarousal, You're going to feel the blood pump to your muscles. You're going to feel hot. You're going to feel this urge to run or fight back or take action in some way. And it's it's very important, but I'm going to talk about when that can go wrong and how that actually brings people to the point that they have to come into therapy um, and how that impacts relationships and their lives in general. So, so we have the accelerator, but we also have a brake on our nervous system. I mean, if we had a car with just an accelerator, I think we could all understand why that would be a problem. So the brake is important too, because the brake slows us down. The brake tells us one of two things. It t- tells us that in, in 
optimally. It's telling us it's okay to slow down. It's okay to take a breath. It allows the body to get into a relaxed state where we can digest, where we can heal, where we can sleep, where we can perform activities of daily living. Um, And more importantly, it allows us to socially engage. When we do not socially engage, we don't do really well in relationships. And I'm talking about relationships across the board. I'm talking about with your boss. I'm talking about with your kids, with your partner, with your friends, across the board. So that's one of the functions of the parasympathetic nervous system. But there's another function of the parasympathetic nervous system that Stephen Porges specifically references in his polyvagal theory, and that is the function of collapse. So let's say you're walking, you're on a hike, you're in the mountains, here comes a bear. You want to kick into fight or flight, but pretty quickly you assess the situation and you see there's really not much you can do to escape this bear, and this bear outweighs you. The bear's claws are way bigger than yours. The bear's teeth are way bigger than yours. You're not fighting him off. You don't have a weapon. So automatically, your body is going to want to go into this collapse state. And we call this the state of hypoarousal. This is important too. This is the play dead state. Uh, You're going to see this. If you ever watch National Geographic, you're going to see this as the zebra is peacefully grazing and the lion comes into view and starts chasing it, you see it automatically go into hyperarousal. It runs away. And if the lion catches it, it doesn't die immediately. Uh, It usually goes into the state of hypoarousal or flop, where it just collapses and plays dead in hopes that one of two things happens. Either uh, the lion loses interest and leaves it alone, and it can get up and shake off the last uh, pieces of, of hyperarousal that are kind of still circulating through the nervous system, um, or it doesn't hurt as much when the lion kills it because it's able to go numb. So how does this apply to our lives? Generally, hyperarousal, the sympathetic nervous system activation, is supposed to be extremely temporary, and it's only supposed to come on board when there is an actual threat. So when you're being chased by the bear, when you're about to be hit by a car, when when there is something really scary happening, when you're a person in a bank and there's a bank robbery occurring, you want this to happen. And then you may want to go into a hypoaroused state where you just collapse and hold still. If there's no way out, that is the best case scenario. But then ideally what you want is to be able to come back to your body, to come back to yourself, to come back to a place where you're able to reconnect with others, talk about what happened, and move on with your life. What often happens with most of us, especially those of us who have tended to kind of live in either hyper or hypoarousal based on various circumstances, maybe uh, your family didn't talk about emotion, maybe they didn't teach you how to come back from a state of hyperarousal and calm down. Maybe you had to shut down into this this collapse response and you didn't learn how to get yourself back up out of it. What ends up happening is we have a lot of anxiety and we have a lot of depression and we have a lot of relationship problems because if you are going between states of hyper hyper and hypoarousal, guess what you're not doing and what you're not doing well? You're not socially engaging well. 
You're not reading people's faces well. You're not reading body language. You're not able to read social cues as well as you are, as you would be if you were in this state of of um, where the parasympathetic nervous system is online but isn't in shutdown. Dan Siegel calls this the optimal zone of arousal. Um, I've also heard it referred to as the window of tolerance. So what we want to see happen is we want to be able to listen to our bodies when we're triggered, when we um, are upset, when we're anxious. We want to know when we're in a state of hyperarousal. We want to know when we're in a state of hypoarousal. And those are not the times to try to communicate with people. Those are the times to go inside and to understand why am I feeling the way I am? Is there actually a threat? Is this an old pattern of response? The thing is, is if your body is used to going into hyper and hypoarousal and kind of creates a pattern, that's the path of least resistance in your brain because it becomes normal. And so often I'll see people who have chronic anxiety or chronic high stress who have had chronic high stress throughout their lives, and they tend to be really hyper aroused. So what they experience is um, they're always on edge. Uh, they tend to snap at their loved ones. They don't tend to listen really well. They're kind of go, go, go all the time. And eventually they shut down because their bodies make them. They collapse in some way, um, but it doesn't serve them well. I have people on the other end of the spectrum who are in a chronic state of hyperarousal who learned that it doesn't serve them to be in hyperarousal. Um, being anxious, reaching out for help, crying out for help didn't work. And so they go into this state of depression where they feel numb. They feel as though they cannot connect with themselves, with other people around them. They want to isolate. And because it's been such a pervasive pattern, they tend to stay in those states. And then when they seek therapy, they've usually been in those states for long periods of time. Now, just because your brain has carved these paths that are pretty set doesn't mean that we can't do something about it. So when I'm working with someone, what I first want them to do is to start to get in touch with their bodies. In our society, in the dominant culture of the U.S., we're not all that body-centered. Uh, we're becoming better. There are um, there are things that people do more of now that help such as mindfulness and meditation and yoga those things help but really what I want people to do is to start paying attention to the signals of their bodies to understand where am I most of the time so what am I asking people to look at okay I want people to look at where's my heart rate we, we have these technological advances that help so much. So many of you are going to have some sort of a watch or device that you wear on your wrist that helps you to know where your heart rate is at. Sometimes that's where we start. I have my client look at their watch and say, hey, where's your heart rate right now? Oh, well, I'm just sitting here and it's in the 90s or low hundreds. Oh, okay. So you're probably hyper aroused. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about whether this is pervasive. I'm asking them to essentially think about what are the body sensations that they're having in that hyper-aroused, anxious state. Do they feel hotter? Do they feel more muscle tension? As you're sitting here listening to this, I'm going to encourage you right now to tune into your body and just ask yourself, where am I holding my tension? What is my breath doing? Am I breathing 
kind of normal mellow breaths or does it seem to be kind of shallow does my heart rate uh, feel higher than it probably should Um, how am I sitting am I sitting like I'm ready to jump up and do something or am I relaxed I'm doing the same thing on the other end too if I have somebody who comes in and they're kind of slouching and they're kind of they they look collapsed they look depressed they look sad I'm asking them to tune into their bodies and say what are you feeling? Nothing is a sensation. If they say, I feel numb, I feel nothing, that is giving us information. That's telling me we're in that state of hyperarousal. And then I'm asking them the question, when did this start for you? Or if they don't know when it started for them, how often is this happening? And in both cases, as we pay attention to what that feels like, even feeling into the numb, feeling into the collapse, feeling like I can't get off the couch, we are then able to start making changes. So one of my the easiest and the, my most favorite ways to help a person to start to move out of chronic hyper or hypoarousal is to use a breath. When you breathe out, it turns on the all clear in the brain. So that exhale says, we're okay, we're fine, um, we can fill and be in this moment. And if you read Bessel van der Kolk's, Kolk's Body Keeps a Score, he does a beautiful job of describing this. So as you take a breath and as you breathe out and focus on the exhale, I ask people to then notice what are the shifts in your body now. It's simply about paying attention. I then talk about if we're in chronic hyper or hypoarousal, guess what? Like I said earlier, we're not doing a good job of listening. We're not doing a good job of tracking. It means we're not doing the best job we can in the world to get what we want. If you want to get what you want, if you want to be able to engage with people, if you want your relationships to go better on all fronts, you have to be able to socially engage. So if you can notice, I tend to be hyper-aroused chronically or hypo-aroused chronically and do something about it, you're going to start moving into that optimal zone of arousal where you can feel your emotions. You still, you still might feel stressed out sometimes. You still might feel a little low sometimes. You might feel all the range of emotions, but that's ideal because emotions are giving you information. Emotions are telling you this is what's happening around you and help the the communication from inside helps you to know what to do next to be most effective. So once we start learning about how to track our bodies, we can then start listening to the emotion that gives us information. We're more engaged in our lives and, and we can do the, we can improve, we can improve our relationships. We can improve our quality of life. If you tend to be hyper aroused most of the time, that means more deep breathing. And it can be that simple. I have some of my uh, chronically hyper-aroused clients. Okay, every time you take a bathroom break at work, you're going to take five deep breaths and you're going to notice how much more focused you are when you go back to your desk. For my people who are more hypo-aroused, who need to get their bodies moving, I say set an alarm on your uh, phone five times a day where you get up and you walk around and you get your blood moving a little bit. You take a few deep breaths and you notice the shifts in your body. It starts with things that are that simple and that body oriented. You don't have to be a a guru of yoga and meditation in order to be effective in changing 
your state of arousal. It's simply about paying attention and then doing these little things, making these micro movements towards expanding your optimal zone of arousal. And the more you notice that you're in hyper or hypo arousal, the more effective you're going to be in knowing when you are in the optimal zone of arousal, which is where our relationships go so much better. And we get more of what we want out of life, including satisfaction. I hope this is helpful to you. I thank you again for listening today and I wish you all the best. You've been listening to Seeing Mind to Mind, a podcast designed to help you navigate life's challenges. We'd love you to subscribe, rate us, or toss us a review. To all of my fantastic listeners, I am thrilled you're here. I am thrilled you're listening. I'm hoping you're getting something from this. Uh, Please know that this is not a replacement for psychotherapy. Help is available. If you or someone you know is struggling, please call 1-800-273-TALK, T-A-L-K. A big thank you to our sponsor, Lifestone Counseling Centers. And until next time, hang in there. You've got this.